baby. So, how many legs have you broken this week? Fewer than you. <laughs> Recording live from a wheelchair. The LOLs. <laughs> what am I going to do? Cry about it? Exactly. It's I'm fine. very I'm very proud of you for your outlook. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Like, fine, fuck. I broke my leg. Oh, no. My leg! <laughs> You're fully that Spongebob character. Is that what it was like when you broke your leg? No, it was more like, I think I'm fine. And then you're like, I'm very much so not fine. <laughs> it really switched to that, yes. <laughs> it really did. Like When I was uh, laying there in the skate park, just being, that's right, guys. I'm cool. I'm a skater. Not anymore. <laughs> not, not for a while. <laughs> if ever, yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I was just laying there with our buddy Keegan laying on the floor of the conk of the skate park just being like i'm okay i'm okay <laughs> a really nice man bought me a, a big water and some advil walk it off walk it off oh i could not my leg flopped back and forth it was like a jello <laughs> on that note my leg was a limp noodle hey babe yeah babe Remember that time we watched John Dies at the End? Sure do. The 2012 cosmic horror comedy from director Dan Coscarelli based on the novel by Jason Pargin. Yeah. I love this series. I've read all three of the books that are out and I cannot wait. Later this year, uh, the fourth installment comes out and I'm so stoked. That's so fun. Yeah. So I'm Nicole. I'm Topher. And we're the Horror Babes. Accurate. Back in format. Yes, we are back. We are back from our hiatus. I won't say better than ever because we have a broken bone between us. It's on the left side. It's far away from you. No. (laughs) No. Anyway, we'll be following the normal format, I think, um, which means that Topher will take us through who made this thing, shout out the cast and the crew, and then I will take us through the plot. And then in our third installment, we will uh, analyze said plot. So, Tover, who made this thing? Well, as I said, uh, Don Coscarelli was the director. You might recognize that name. Do you recognize that name? No. He created Phantasm. Mm. Classic horror series. He also created Bubba Hotep and the Beastmaster. I haven't seen either of those, honestly. They're all super, like, kitschy, like, B-horror, weird, fun, dumb shit. Just like this. Okay. So yeah, he also wrote the script on this. Um, as I said, the story is based on, it's credited as David Wong. Um, that was the, the pen name that Jason Pargin was going under for a while. Yes. But he is back to using his given name uh, in all of his writings, including, and this is a fun connection for you and me for this movie, uh, one of the first books I ever lent you was Futuristic Suits and Fancy Violence, his uh, weird techno sci-fi. Yeah, hilarious. Um Side note, when Topher and I were first messaging after we met, um, my my outdated way of flirting was asking him for book recommendations. It was so, it made me love you so much, by the way. <laughs> I was like, no, I thought it was really sweet and I loved it. Uh, I, I was just like, oh, dang. All right. Yeah, I hadn't dated in like four years. Yeah. And so, yeah, my, my version of flirting was, what books should I read? Well, we talked about books when we were when we first the first time we hung out. No, we did, we did. Um, and then you loaned me that book, and I really liked it. It's a lot of fun. He's a great writer. Yeah, I was. It was very fun. So for our cast, we have our leads have they they're still working actors, no question. Mm-hmm. But 
they definitely don't have the careers that I think they should have based on this movie. Right. Uh, so we have Chase Williamson. So we have Chase Williamson as Dave, our protagonist, mm-hmm. and Rob Mays as John. And good God, they could not have passed two, cast two better roles or two better actors for these roles. They look like off-brand Robert Pattinson and Taylor Lautner to me. <laughs> I was going to say off-brand uh, Robert Pattinson and Sean William Scott. I only said Taylor. I mean, he kind of resembles Taylor Lautner a little bit. I only said it because of the Twilight reference. Fair enough. I like it. I like a lot of theme. Mm-hmm. So we have one of our uh stars is also an executive producer the amazing paul giamatti you can put him in any world for me and i will just slurp it up i love i love when he shows up in anything it's just so fun like he just steps into a role he's such a classical character actor yeah we have mr krabs himself clancy brown wait who what yeah dr marconi that's mr krabs yar (laughs) <laughs> I was waiting so hard to drop that knowledge on you. That's Mr. Krabs. That's Mr. Krabs. You guys, I love SpongeBob so much. I make a reference to SpongeBob in all of my Pilates classes and nobody laughs. <laughs> no one goes. <laughs> I say bring it around town about 10 times. Oh my in God. My of course you, I've taken your Pilates courses. Yes. Yes, you do. I, yeah. I say bring it around town, uh, SpongeBob style. And everyone's just looking at me like you old bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, we have Wire alum Glenn Turman as Detective Appleton. Uh huh. We have man about town in every role, anywhere he wants to be. You want to put him in a monster suit. You want to put him in a weird suit. You want him just to be a guy who's you're kind of off put by. You hire Doug Jones. I thought that he was credited when you just said that as man about town. And I was like, that's a dream resume line for me. <laughs> I'm just a man about town. Get a role in our town. Just a man about town. <laughs> but yeah, he plays Roger North, a uh, weird shadow man from another dimension. Mm-hmm. Finally, we have Daniel Roebuck as Largeman, the uh, dude in the pinstripe suit towards the end. Fabian Therese as Amy, our one-handed gal with a ghost hand. Johnny Weston as Justin White, a.k.a. Shitload. God, I went to school with a guy named Justin White. You. And according, I was really good friends with um, his girlfriend at the time. And according to her, um, shitload would be an appropriate thing to call him. So. <laughs> Except he's a load of shit. There's not a shitload of him in there. Yeah. Gross. We got Jimmy Wong as Fred Chu. He's a Trump supporter now. Oh, God. Yeah, that, dude. With a name like Justin White, I'm just not surprised. Yeah, dude. Gross. But yeah, Jimmy Wong is Fred Chu, <laughs> who I don't <laughs> think is a Trump supporter. And Ty Bennett as Robert Marley. We also have the voice of everything. that You've heard him in a thousand places. If you've heard him once, Kevin Michael Richardson throughout this movie. He's our narrator and also the voice of Korok. If you ever hear just the voice with gravitas, that's Kevin Michael Richardson. He was the voice of the head gargoyle on Gargoyles. He's all throughout uh, Adventure Time and any of the uh, Avatar series, either the original or Korra. Like, he's everywhere. He is one of the most hardworking voice actors in the game. That is a niche that will make you rich, I feel. I don't know. You'll sure. survive. Not rich, but you'll survive well. You'll live all right. Yeah. You just work all the time. Mm. 
Our music was from Brian Tyler. The cinematography was from Michael, who's better known as Mike, Giolakis. Uh, Coscarelli edited the film himself, along with Donald Milne. Uh, it's a great editor. And our production design was from Todd Jeffrey. I love the production, the production design of this film. It uses CGI correctly. Mm. So the budget was reported to be under a million bucks, which impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, shit box office, but it was never meant to be like a box office hit. It was about 142000 I don't think anybody was expecting this to take off. It kind of got some cult status. Yeah. Because Jason Pargin was still a senior editor or like editor-in-chief or something like that of Cracked at the time. Right, and he had all those books. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, by the time this came out, I think the second one was already out. This book is full of spiders. I think that was already out at the time. And so, like, he made money. (laughs) He made money. Good for him. Good for him. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, this premiered at Sundance in 2012 and got a wider release. Not a wide release, but a wider release in 2013 in the States. Nice. Um, Yeah, it's a nice, tight movie. It says it runs 100 minutes. I would put it closer to, like, 94 in actual runtime. Well, you've got you've got a long credit sequence. There is, yeah. There's a there's an interpolated credit sequence, but yeah, that's a that's about what I have to say for now. Nice. You wanna what happens in this movie, <laughs> which is easier to say than what happens in the book, but still not the easiest. Right. <laughs> so you already talked about we have David Wong, who's a slacker. Um, he remembers confronting a zombie skinhead he beheaded one year earlier and wonders if an axe that had its handle and head replaced over time is still the same axe. Strong move to start your story with a ship of Theseus riddle. Yeah. And then we go to the present day and he meets this, uh, he's meeting with this reporter at a restaurant, Arnie Blondstone, to recount uh, all these supernatural events that um, happened in this undisclosed city. Yeah, in the book it's called Undisclosed Midwestern City. Yeah. Or like Undisclosed Illinois or something like that. Which, fair enough, because I wouldn't know the difference. Yeah. Um, Also, I wouldn't want people to know. I I get why David would want to keep things secret. That's why his fake name is David Wong in the the story. Mm. So then David recalls that he's, you know, he's at a party with his friend John, and he's with Fred Chu, Justin White, and Amy Sullivan, who um, Amy is the one who has the amputated hand. David learns that Amy's dog, Barkley, haha, um, <laughs> has gone missing after biting Robert Marley, haha, um, a drug dealer who pretends to be Jamaican. Um, the dealer claims to have powers and knows things about David that he shouldn't. Yeah, he's like, I, uh, I tell people their, their last dream and interpret it for a beer. And he goes into detail about David's dream about his ex-girlfriend blowing up his entire life. Ooh. And then the thunder claps and asks him, like, how did your brain know that the thunder was going to clap? How did it know at that exact moment that that was going to be coincide with the bang inside your dream? And all this stuff. And David's just like, fuck you, I'm out. Yeah. And then, um, so as he leaves the party, he sees the dog next to his car. And so then John John calls Dave and he's, like, demanding for him to come over. He's, like, frantic. He's panicking. And then he's at John's apartment, David, who um, is oblivious to this creature, um, this big creature that kind of looks, I know this came after, but it kind of looks like the Dementor, or not Dementor. Um, um, it's I this big the creature. It's, like a, it's got a baby's face with a scorpion tail or body. Yeah, it's definitely insect-like and scorpion-like. Um, and the, it's just like 
kind of creepy and it's huge but um david can't see it john's the only one that can see it and then he finds this syringe that contains this black colored drug and that's apparently called soy sauce which was given to him by um marley and grants inhuman knowledge when taken along with dumping the user in alternate dimensions and time streams and um this is how how we figure this out is um a past version of john ends up calling present dave yeah so like he's sitting with john at like like a a diner yeah and uh, his phone keeps ringing, and John's like, "Dude, you're gonna answer that, <clears throat> please? Like, I'm trying to talk to you. Can you just answer the phone?" And so he answers the phone, and it's John. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, and then as they drive off, David accidentally stabs himself with the syringe. Which... And I love this moment here because he, you see him cap the syringe at the apartment. Yeah. So it's we see it capped, so it is safe. Like Dave knows what he's doing. In the book, there's a. I'm gonna keep interjecting with stuff like this, but yeah. like. John, it, John, Dave does drugs as well, but John's like, what was I supposed to do? Not take the drug? And Dave's like, yes. <laughs> right. Like they both get loaded. They both definitely do drugs, but John's the one who's like, fuck it. But clearly Dave's like, he's frustrated with John's life because he's had to help him from ODs multiple times. Right. So he knows to cap a syringe and take it to the hospital with him. Yeah. So this ends up propelling him through alternate dimensions. He ends up returning to the present, um, and then this strange dude, Roger North, appears in the back seat. He puts this strange creature down David's shirt that kind of looks like the baby... the baby monster in Stranger Things. Oh sure, yeah. I think if I yeah, remember yeah, correctly, yeah. it's like it's like a like a big old leech. Yeah, with freaky teeth. Yeah, and like arms. Yeah, um, and just tells David to drive. He uses the cigarette lighter to burn off the creature and uses the commotion to stop the car. And he threatens Roger, who then just like disappears. Yeah. And then we have the um, detective Appleton who questions the two at a police station about this party. He reveals that John and Justin White were the only survivors of this, you know, everyone thinks that everyone OD'd. Um, only known survivors, yeah, because there, there's yeah. Amy and uh, Fred are in the wind. Yeah, it's like, so basically everyone else either just like completely disappeared or suffered these like really bizarre deaths. And then we're back in the present and um, Arnie tries to leave, but then Dave convinces him to stay after showing him a strange monster in his car that can't easily be seen. So it's the same one from John's apartment. And he's like, Arnie, you're going to die one day and I want you to focus on that fact. Think about that fact. Live in that moment. Live in that weirdness and stare at me. Now look back at the cage without looking at the cage. And that's when he sees it. So weird. Shit, shit, shit. Oh, shit. What the fuck? Shit, shit, shit. What have you done to me? (laughs) God, Paul Giamatti. Really good. And then um, John is is being uh, questioned by the cops and he dies for unknown reasons. One of the interrogators leaves to investigate John's death and John telepathically contacts Dave. Through his phone that's super broken, yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Go up to that guy and buy... A hot dog yeah, or a bratwurst or whatever. Um, in the book, it's like, should I get mustard on it? Like that's the he, like Dave's like, should I get mustard on it? And he's like, John's like, what? He's like, I'm asking stupid questions because you're telling me to do stupid things. Yeah. And then John helps Dave realize that the other cop in the room is a ghost and helps him escape from the police station. And then Dave is is guided to Marley's house. 
Um, and then the soy sauce knocks Dave unconscious. He wakes up to see Appleton preparing to burn down the trailer, who tells him John's body disappeared and that the soy sauce is letting in some kind of evil force. And uh, Appleton ends up shooting David, who survives by time traveling and tampering with the round he was shot with. Yeah, that's the sequence we see is him going, hey, to the guy in a bullet factory. And then we cut back to that once he gets shot. Yeah. We see a fly land in the... In the- and then... Um, Bark, who's controlled by John, drives David's car through the wall, allowing him to escape. <laughs> Good old Barkley. It's like, of course that happened. Yeah, makes Dog sense. driving a Bronco. Makes sense. Yeah. And then Justin White possessed. God, that's one of my new favorite sentences. Wow. Justin White possessed. Justin White possessed appears in David's apartment and subdues him. Dave tries to kill him, but he's infected. Justin kidnaps David, Fred, Amy, Bark, and John, and then takes them to this abandoned mall, hoping to use a, this door inside to travel to, like, another dimension. It, it's very spooky. Yeah. Um, and then John is manipulating White into going inside, where awaiting Appleton kills him. And then um, Appleton explodes into a swarm of demonic insects who then possess Fred, causing David to kill him. Amy opens the ghost door with her phantom limb. After putting on her x-ray specs so so that she can see. Yeah. (laughs) And then allows John and Dave to go through. They meet celebrity psychic and exorcist North and Albert Marconi, who say the source of the strange happenings is Korok, an eldritch biological supercomputer who is turned into a genocidal god that wants to travel to new dimensions and then conquer them. And Marconi gives David and John an LSD-laced C4 explosive to incapacitate Korok with. I love with. the comedy of it. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's a lot. And just knowing that Mr. Krabs is like a, a actually like amazing spiritual uh, leader. <laughs> Mr. Krabs. Um, the Krusty Krab pizza is the pizza. <laughs> Krusty Krab, Krab, Pizza. Is the pizza for you and me? The two step through a portal to an alternate earth, and then we have these disciples of Korok greet them as quote-unquote chosen ones and present a brutal totalitarian society where dissenters are horribly maimed by Korok's monsters. We call that arachnicide. God, it's so (laughs) cheesy. In the best way. And self-aware. Yeah. And then the duo are brought before Korok, who plans to devour them, absorb their knowledge of dimensional travel, and conquer their dimension. And then John tries to activate the bomb, but completely fumbles. Barkley, who followed the two, grabs the bomb and flings himself into Korok, detonating it and destroying the two of them, sacrificing his life. Maybe. Maybe. In that dimension, at least. And then upon escaping, David and John meet Marconi and learn that Bark was meant to defeat Korok all along. <laughs> why didn't, if you can get here, so if you can cross over so easily, why didn't you do it? We needed someone that would be, uh, that we can see as completely innocuous. And also we needed a guide for the dog. <laughs> <laughs> and then after they escape, David and John meet Marconi and learn that Bark was meant to defeat, oh, I already said that. Yeah. Um, After biting a soy sauce-addled Marley, it linked him to Marconi and Roger North. Amy becomes David's girlfriend. (laughs) Cute. Um, With Marconi's help, David and John become exorcists and demon hunters. Cute. 
Um, in the present, Arnie decides to publish the story, and Dave realizes he perceives Arnie differently than how he really looks. Yeah, through a story that jo- uh, Arnie tells about being a young journalist, like fresh out of school and being called the N-word, but he, Giamatti says it out loud, like the mm. full thing. And Dave responds, wait, why did the cop call you the N-word? And he's like, are you, is that a joke? Like, are you kidding? He's like, shit, Arnie, what do you look like? Yeah. <laughs> and then the two find the real Arnie decapitated in the trunk of his car, who was killed after first contacting Dave. Dave tells Arnie that Dave's mind projected his current shape. Arnie tries to deny this, but soon just vanishes into thin air. And then later, John and Dave are playing basketball, and they throw their ball into a post-apocalyptic dimension. You know, normal Friday shit. It, and for them, yeah, that's how they treat it. I love it. They're, so yeah, nonchalant. they're just like, <laughs> there's like, ugh, who's gonna go get it? So they go, they go in to get it. A paramilitary organization informs them that they are the chosen ones who will restore the world. But they're like, uh, we've got to go back to our world and get a couple supplies, and we'll be right back. <laughs> fully just planning on ghosting them. And it does slow motion walk off while yeah. the dude is still just being a windbag. I love it. It's great. And then that's that's the end of the movie. We do have yeah. those um, interstitials in the um, in in the credits, but. Other than that, that the plot is done. Yeah. So this was your first time seeing this. Yep. You've read the book. Mm-hmm. But what did you think? So I... I don't know. I, I didn't dislike the movie. I think that there's maybe a better movie inside of that book. I don't know. Because I really did enjoy it, The the reading the book. And I get that the movie's supposed to be kind of like, you know, silly and and cosmic horror and everything. Um, But I don't know. The acting was very CW to me in style and some of the shots, which isn't necessarily like a terrible thing. Like, I really like that show iZombie from CW, but Mm -hmm. um, it's a very specific kind of like teenage drama style of acting. Um, And... It's, it's just not, like, in general, my favorite. Um, and then the way it was shot, too, kind of felt a little bit like a like a CW show. Um, but, I mean, I've always really liked this story, and I like the world, and I like um, how we're finding out the rules along with the protagonist. Yeah. Um, we're not, like... We don't know more than they do, so we are involved in the chaos. Um which is better done in the book, but that's because you're reading from a first-person perspective. Yeah, but uh, thinking thinking of it through like through a lens of um, adaptation, I think that this book was a monster to oh, adapt. Oh, God. Yeah, I remember I saw the movie first and then read the book. Because this came out at the end of... Or, yeah, I saw it right after I graduated college. Okay. I was hanging. I was like, when did I saw this saw it with college friends. I did see it with college friends, but I, it just came out like right after I graduated. Yeah. And so I was like, I knew who David Wong was. Uh, I knew of the book. It was one of those things that I kept meaning to read, you know? Yeah. Because um, the book came out in 2004. He started serial. He started as a serial on the internet in 2001. And it, the book bears a lot of that sort of interesting early internet sort of forum and like blog post stuff yeah but yeah i saw the movie and i was like okay and then i read the book and i was like oh damn you know yeah the book is um does a really great job of explaining things and even though it is very convoluted i think that it's 
not too difficult to follow um, as long as you're open-minded and ready for the ride. Y- yeah, yeah, that's right. And I like the silliness that this movie um, captured that kind of took from the book where like nobody takes anything too seriously and it's kind of like that it's kind of like that dark humor where you're just like oh not this shit again you know like when they're when it's like the alternate (laughs) dimension like you almost died a million times and everything and then you're just kind of like oh not this shit again like i love that kind of dark humor i always put it as um what if the two dudes from clerks were extra uh, like paranormal hunters yeah you know what i mean like it's clerks meets like demon hunters yeah, and I, I kind of... Just like, really? This motherfucking shit again? I like... I wasn't even supposed to be here today. I like what this story says about... I like what this story says about drugs without, like, be, like demonizing them and beating it over the, beating you over the head with a bat of, like, don't, don't do drugs sort of thing. It kind of takes this stance of, like, if you do some sort of random substance somewhere (laughs) like you know you you probably like cautionary tale sort of thing um some crazy shit might happen to you like it's not a good idea Mm -hmm. but it doesn't like say like you know um it doesn't take this overly it's not preachy dramatic yeah preachy stance um saying like drugs are bad don't do drugs it's more like be responsible if you decide to do drugs like know what you're doing (laughs) otherwise you might be stuck flipping between dimensions for the rest of your life (laughs) yeah which obviously that's a completely like you know um ridiculous out of this world type um consequence but i don't know i feel like i feel like this movie could have been and the book isn't this either so uh, luckily um it really could have been they could have taken the drug thing and like ran with it. I'm glad that it's just like it's just sort of there. It's kind of just part of the plot. It's not yeah. the plot. Like we're not like it's a MacGuffin. Yeah. So I I really I really like that about this movie. Like it's it's you know dark humor and um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, this movie's tough for me because I I like a lot of it, but overall I I don't know. I kind of wish I could see like a redo. I get that. I want to see someone else direct it. I want to see someone else's vision, mainly because I find the book really exciting and interesting. Sure. Um, And I just, I don't know. I don't want to see, I didn't really want to see like the CW version. Even though this is like an elevated version, it's much better, but you know what I mean. I want to see someone else's vision. It's mocking it while doing it. Yeah, I want to see someone else's vision of it. I get that. That's it. Yeah, I mean, so for my piece, I think it is a very good lesson in adaptation. Yeah. In terms of like how the plot lines are condensed, right? So remember in the book, like the Amy's barely even involved. It's uh, this girl he's that Dave has a crush on, just uh, Jennifer Lopez, no relation. Right. And they go to Vegas, and there's this whole event, and then they go to the other dimension. There's all, the whole thing with the dog poop actually being the bomb, etc. But um. Yeah, I, I I love that they condensed everything. They're like, nope, we got a hundred minutes in and out. Let's let's streamline this, and they did it really well. They made a difficult narrative into a something edible. Exactly, I think that's exactly right. They made the snack version. Yeah, and that's that's a good version of adaptation. That's how you should do that. Yeah, but if... you, you're right that there's a lot lost. So that's what I'm gonna get into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the book despite being hilarious in all parts, 
is fucking horrifying in others. Like, there's real horror in the book. Yeah. Um, and all three of them. Like, there are moments where you're like, I don't know if that's going to work out for you, bud. And, like, there's moments between Dave and John that are in the later books that are, like, real interpersonal shit. Without getting schlocky, it's like, they they have fights. They have discussions. There's a point when um, Dave and Amy break up because he just refuses to be anything else, you know? Yeah. He, she can't see him waste his life as a slacker, and he finds that out on the sauce. Right. And it's that that's, like, the horrifying implica- implication is, like, you could learn anything in a moment. Would you want to? Yeah, it's that double-edged sword of, like, where people... It's like, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, it's almost. got a monkey's paw element to it. Yeah. Yeah. But, so th- that's, if I were to see a different adaptation of this, I don't know who I would want to do it. I don't either. That's where I feel I'm... like everybody else would take it too. Like, that's why I liked Don Coscarelli. He's like, yeah, this is stupid. Let it be stupid. Yeah. And I think that's where Jason Pargin was like, fuck yeah, this is stupid. Let it be stupid. Yeah. But there's no horror to it. There's moments of like action, thriller, etc. But you never get the sinister moments that it happened in the book. You never get those really like I've read the book twice and I still get chills in parts of it. Yeah. Like the hairs on the back of my neck pricking up sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> so I think it's just that's what I would want to see in a re attempt at yeah. this, which I doubt we'll ever get. Um, yeah, I don't see any reason to. It would have to well. be a three hour movie, too. Like, you couldn't pack this story and get all of that in a 90-minute segment. It's just not possible. Yeah. Because a lot of that real horrifying stuff happens in the internal monologue. Yeah, I don't necessarily even mean, like, change the arc or change the narrative. I just would like to see a different style. That's fair. I get that. So it can still stay 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, I just think, I don't know, I want to see it done in a different style. Not in the camp style. Because this is intentionally camp. Yeah, well, I still want it to be intentionally camp. I just don't. I want to see different. I want to see different actors, and I want to see um, it shot differently. I get that because I like the shots. They're not great. I think the there's C- some really the CGI, good ones. It's shot very much so like a Disney Channel original movie, and the CGI looks like a Disney Channel original movie to me, which isn't a bad thing. I enjoyed every single one that I watched as a child. But and um, all of this is on form too. Like nothing, nothing's amiss. You know, you know what I mean. Yeah, no, like you just don't like the form. Yeah, everything's fine. I just, I don't know. I would want to maybe see just someone else's take on it. I get that. Yeah. So I guess one thing we should do that we haven't done yet is define cosmic horror and talk about that a bit. Yeah, we should definitely um, expand on that because I know that it's what Jason Pargin self-describes all of his work as or a lot at least of this work. series yeah yeah um so what exactly is cosmic horror so it starts with um hp lovecraft right yeah he is the he's considered the like creator of cosmic horror okay uh just as like mary shelley's considered the creator of science fiction yeah um so lovecraft is considered so people used to call it lovecraftian horror now it's expanded because one, not everybody wants to take on all of that legacy that Lovecraft has. He was a, I don't know, horrible dude. Um, don't ask him what his cat's name was. It was bad. It was a slur. Okay, then um, I won't ask. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was, a, he was a horrible, horrible racist. Um, 
but he wrote really wonderful books and we all love his work and it was a huge influence on horror as we know it so lovecraft was kind of obsessed with this idea of cosmicism which is where we move away from lovecraftian horror into cosmic horror yeah as the terminology and cosmicism is like basically this is a quote from lovecraft when he was talking about it there um Cosmicism states that there is no recognizable divine presence such as a god in the universe and that humans are particularly insignificant in the larger scheme of the intergalactic, of intergalactic existence. Um, so what that means is essentially what we experience, what the, the, what's interpret, this is interpreted as is what we experience as reality is a very thin veil stretched far too far over what is actually going on in the world, in the universe. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when you pierce that veil, weird shit comes out. So for Parjan, that means that the soy sauce is the piercing the veil, right? Yeah. That's why it's delivered through a needle a lot of times where you see it pierce Dave's face or go into his thigh or whatever, right? Yeah, that makes that sense. Intention, that's intentionally a reference to piercing the veil mm-hmm. and seeing what bleeds through. Yeah. and Or if you bleed through or whatever, right? Because gravity. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Lovecraft's not the only example of cosmic horror, um, and it got really popular after him, but... But here are some of the main tenets of what we would describe as cosmic horror. You have fear of the unknown and unknowable. The fear and awe we feel uh, when confronted by phenomena beyond our uh, comprehension whose scope extends beyond the narrow field of human affairs and boasts of cosmic significance. So it's not that things are good or evil, right? And yeah, that's interesting. It's more, it's more so that things are expansive and we're more afraid of the things we don't understand as opposed to putting something in like a black or white territory. Right. Um, So, that, so in the movie, right? The yeah. movie version, the, the book is better about this, obviously because it has more time to work with it, right? I hate when people compare books to movies, even though it's ne- it's necessary as part of this. It's always like, you've heard me talk about this. It's like, I don't know, fuck it. They're different mediums. Um, so, but one of the things that the book achieves that the movie does not is this idea of the cosmic being unconcerned with the morality of the finite. Yeah. So... The joke we noted, noted to earlier, or nodded to earlier, where, uh, yeah, in our dimension, it's considered really bad form to shove a bunch of innocent people into a pit full of spiders. We call that arachnicide. <laughs> Great joke. And it's in the book. But it it lands better in the book because you see that, like, you get a description of large men just, like, looking confused at the idea of that being wrong and the idea of anything being wrong in a moral sense right korok is not evil korok simply is yeah and so korok is this like is a cosmic entity like a lovecraftian horror right like an eldritch god yeah this is Um, some deep philosophical shit right here hey this is what this is what the people listen for yeah there's also like it uh you want like one of the other tenets is thinking about the place of humans in this vast expanse of things we can't understand Mm mm-hmm um, horror springs from quote the discovery of the appalling truth. 
Yeah. Um, a naturalistic fusion of horror and science fiction. That's why you see a lot of that steampunk elements in like in uh, uh, Lovecraft, Lovecraft's horror itself, but also adaptations thereof. Mm-hmm. Which I hate. Fuck steampunk. It's so stupid. Get, get just be an adult. Be an adult. Stop being in steampunk into steampunk after high school. And I'm sorry. Let people like what they like. Not that. Okay. Um, and then viscera is a big one. Like slimes, weird textures. Mm-hmm. So like this is where you get like Cronenberg or The Thing, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Even H.R. Giger to a certain extent with Alien and his works in general. Yeah. And I mean, I think that this whole idea is such a huge topic in horror, whether it is cosmic horror or otherwise, where it's that idea of we're afraid of what we don't know. Yes. And there's a lot that we don't know. So there are a lot of like, t- there are a lot of terrifying things out there. That's why a lot of people won't go in the ocean. That's why a lot of people don't go- want to go to space. That's actually a really good, that's the ocean's a great comparison. Yeah. Because you've got, you, you've definitely got your slime. Mm-hmm. Lots <laughs> of slime. There's lots of slime in the ocean, especially in the Hudson Bay. Oh God. One time I saw a guy fishing in the Hudson and I was like, I really hope he doesn't eat whatever he catches. Actually Hudson fish aren't bad. I've had Hudson fish. Okay. <laughs> then sir you should not worry about what's in the covid vaccine <laughs> I've had three um, of them i know right me too i would love to get a fourth when's that gonna happen i don't know um put it in me daddy Ooh. oh my god hey what 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 was that this isn't last week's episode um <laughs> you're still reeling i'm still reeling you're sitting from... in the captain's chair i am i am i'm feeling i'm feeling strong feeling very strong i t- i'm telling you it's the reason I say so much wild shit on this podcast is because of that chair. I love it. Yep. But yeah, I think that that's a really... And then horror has kind of taken that idea and turned it into a little bit of a cautionary tale where we've seen a lot of these storylines where someone is afraid of what they don't know and then they wreak havoc on either that population or that person. Yeah. AKA discrimination. Right. Um. Except, you know, to to the absolute extreme where the worst thing possible happens to said population or person, right? All discrimination is bullshit, but um, it's based out of the fear of the unknown. They don't understand. They it's it's like that. Yeah, basically all of all of that rambling being said can be tied into this bow that horror plays a lot with the idea of being afraid of the unknown and what can happen through that, whether it turns into something, um, turns into a journey like this where it's kind of comedic or, and whatnot. And then, you know, on the other side of it, it shows kind of the cautionary tale of like if we don't try to understand another human experience or another way of living then that can end in catastrophe for everyone yes so it's been tweaked in many different ways and i'm not saying that one movie is like the other i just think that it's such a relatable thing for people to see something like the unknown like the ocean or space that's why so many um yeah horror films are either set in the arctic too Mm-hmm. On 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 the sea at sea on the under sea. the sea under the sea um, under the sea. Well, we said it twice, so I just wanted to round out the melody. Okay, thank you. Um, I'll be here all week. I, I can't. It's very hard. You, to yeah, you can't. You actually can't move. So you you will. <laughs> that's a guarantee. That is a guarantee. Um, you just take my crutches away, and I can't. I can't do anything. <laughs> 
Evil. By the way, everybody, that's how Nicole punishes me now. Oh, or keeps God. Me, sorry, that's how Nicole keeps me in one spot so she can do other shit and do I can't not, bother her. Do not. No. You literally said that the other day. You put my crushes on the other side of the living room because you were annoyed with me and you wanted to do stuff without me moving. That is a very, that is a very ableist thing to do, and I did not do such things. Okay. I just told you you needed to wait a minute. <laughs> well, from my perspective, because it was I punishment. had because I had three cocktail glasses in my hand that I had just washed. And I wanted my crutches. <laughs> See, I, I think this is two different perspectives on this for sure. Um, Who put them on the other side of the room? Wasn't me because I, was, <laughs> I couldn't have walked without them. Listen, they fall if they're not against the wall. What do you want me to do? I don't know. Everything at once. Clearly. My God. Um, where? What were we talking about? Jesus Christ. Well, I'm um, just going to dive into some more stuff about love. You, you, we were talking about cosmic horror still. So. Yeah, I was saying, I was finishing my thought. I was saying, you know, uh, at sea, um, in space, or in the Arctic is another good example of just vast unknown, right? Yeah, so, I would say Antarctic Journal is a great example of good cosmic horror. Yes. We and, didn't talk about that in that episode, but we should have. Uh, we, I, we hinted at it, but we didn't say it explicitly, but I would absolutely put that in the uh, in the cosmic horror genre. Yeah. Even though there's no, like, cosmic monsters, there's it's, some like it hints at what lies beneath, essentially, right? The cosmic monster is like Murphy's Law. <laughs> yeah. You that's, know that's fair. That's fair. Um But yeah, I, I just, you know, sticking the landing on that thought, uh We've we play with that a lot in horror, and I love that it comes up in a lot of different sub genres. Yeah, because like Evil Dead was definitely inspired by Lovecraft. Yeah. Like literally having a giant purple tentacle monster be the big villain in Evil Dead 2. Um, that's pretty Cthulhu. But one of the things I've seen recently that I find interesting, and it's why I think these books filled such a wonderful hole for me. <laughs> Happy Pride. Um, was what Jason Pargin does with these books um, is he goes back to what Lovecraft is. So Lovecraft and like Cthulhu, especially if you were on the internet between the years of 2004 and 2014, I'm still not on the internet. No, there's no girls on the internet. We're not allowed. Yeah. Great podcast, by the way, that, that um, gate, that gate is very high. It's very kept. Very, very kept. So what, that was the only things like, especially like if you were on like the dork side of Tumblr or whatever, right. <laughs> I'm sorry. All that came to my mind when you said dork side. I thought of that lady from Wife Swap or Trading Spouses. I don't remember. I never remember which one it is. Where she's the like, darkness. no, she's like, that's dork sided. I don't want it. Oh yeah, that's tainted. We're thinking of the same person. And then she um, took the money and got gastric bypass surgery with it. Hey, we love a self improvement moment. You know, even it, for horrible people. You know, if she wanted to do it, she did it. But it just was. She made a huge stink about not taking the money, and then she did. It doesn't matter what anyway, she... It's irrelevant what she did with it. Anyway, back at the you ranch. You said dork-sided, so... You're right. You're right. So if you were on the nerd bullshit side of Tumblr, which... I was I, not. I was on sexy it was, Tumblr. It was cringe. Um, but Cthulhu became a bit of a meme for a while 
to the point that people are selling like little Cthulhu plushies and making like Call of Cthulhu, which is a great board. This is a great uh, game system. Don't get me wrong. But it became more about the monsters themselves and less about what those monsters represented. So people, what the culture shift was in that like uh, mid aughts to mid teens uh, decade was the shift was that the fear there wasn't fear anymore it was obsession with the lore of the monsters right yeah with the different eldritch gods and so what i love about this film and especially this book series is that it pulls cosmic horror back it pulls back on the reins a bit and says no 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 cosmic horror is when you actually are afraid of what lies beneath but you don't know what it is the fear is of the expansiveness of uh of what the world actually is and our thin little reality mm-hmm. is so easily shattered right because like i like i hinted at and i'm not going to spoil the later books because they are very worth reading they're super easy reads and so, like, they're hard because you have to pay attention because it's a lot of perspective jumping and time jumping and all that shit. They're relatively quick reads, though. Yeah, that's they what I mean to say. Yeah, they're not long reads. Yeah. Um, and especially with the fourth coming out, I would recommend going to your lo- local library or buying from an indie bookstore. I love the library. And I love local bookstores. Yeah. So what they what what he does what Parjan does so well is while he has all this comedy going on, and that is what probably my favorite part is the comedy. These books are genuinely funny. I've laughed out loud. Like, you were sitting next to me while I was reading them. I was laughing out loud at them. But you also saw me, like, curl up into a ball while reading them. And it's because he knows how to give you this sense of that infinite horror, of a horror that is unknowable, not just the unknown, but unknowable, not incomprehensible, right? And you have to face that and fight that. And that's what ruins Dave and John. They Again, not spoilers, really, but they don't do so hot in the later books because they're so beat down by fighting something they can never comprehend. Yeah, and I think that that's a really good um, or really interesting tool to use where a lot of horror is anxiety-provoking. Yeah. You're 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 pushing that 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 button that you know on that day that maybe that person forgot to take their Lexapro, um, <laughs> and you're you're either building suspense, you're leading up to something, or you're creating this world that is just like you like expansive or unknown, where it almost gets into that realm of psychological horror where you're like, there's so much we don't know, and that's obviously scary. Yes. Anything can happen. Mm-hmm. And I mean... And you might not even know that it did happen. That's what cosmic horror is, yeah. right? Like It's a mind fuck. Yeah. So we can look at um, the bullet sequence, right? With, in the trailer. That's cosmic horror, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because Dave slips back through time in the same... Like all this shit, time and space. Because he goes to the weird distant... Uh, plague future in the prairie yeah then he's in the bullet factory says hey and like in the book you get he gets this whole sequence of like he's falling 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 he describes as like falling through time yeah 
in, in an uncontrollable way and feeling like he's being ripped apart. And then he finally f- like pulls himself together in the in the factory. And that's when he's like, he's trying to get the guy's attention because he's like, uh, please help. <laughs> please yeah. like hold on to me or whatever. And that's what the second the guy looks away and then he's already gone. That to me is cosmically horrifying because you see how reality doesn't work the way you thought it did. You see that reality is not just left, right, up, down, forward, back. Yeah, it's taking everything that you thought you had a grip on and and turning it upside down. Yeah. And that's not only just completely um, off-putting, that's just like that wrecks your whole world. <laughs> like, yeah. how, how are you supposed to deal mentally with that when, you know, from the moments that you came out of the womb and like started walking, talking and everything, you started to learn that You're told that this left is the way was, the world is left was left right was right up was up down was down and now everything's like right is down up is left like you and know left is a curveball to the face and yeah. like it's the, actually just physically that motion god it's just, you throwing a hundred mile an hour curveball to the face just saying all of that made me feel like i was like that man at west fourth street that's just like yelling <laughs> random shit <laughs> like i just feel like i made no sense but yeah um, we're <laughs> But that's perfect. But like th- what I love about this and what I think Stranger Things fails at, because Stranger Things is trying to be Lovecraft, right? It's trying to be cosmic horror. That's true. But where it doesn't succeed is it's doing that thing I was talking about, like in the old internet days and when we got really obsessed with Lovecraft, but about the monsters, about the gods. Yeah. And it focuses on the monsters and not on the fact that the really horrifying thing is what like Will's character goes through, right? Will's character is the one who's back and forth, in and out. That's true. I kind of wish that they would delve into that. I mean, um, I guess spoiler spoiler alert for this um, coming season, but also it's kind of just this interview's been out there where I guess a lot of people were speculating whether Will is gay or whether, you know, he's just kind of developmentally, developmentally behind his friends as far as yes. like getting into a relationship. And I kind of, I think it's more of the latter than the former as much as I'm like, great be gay I kind of think it makes a little bit more sense for him to be behind developmentally because I think he's in survival mode at all times yes so he's not able and I know we're, we're totally veering like in right no, no, field no, here this but is, this is still it's on connected topic. somehow this is still on topic 100% um I think it makes more sense though um again as much as I'm like I'm like hey be gay welcome yeah. Come to this side. Come um, in with the Alphabet Mafia. We're very welcoming. We love you. Yeah. I, I just think that it makes more sense that he is in survival mode and has been in survival mode since that happened to him. Yeah. So he's not going to be, he's going to, I mean, you know, clearly he, you know, he's going to need, um, he, he's going to need therapy for the rest of his life. But it's something that therapy can't fix. Well, therapy deals with our reality, not multiple. Well, yes. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like where you've got to kind of be able to talk about that in an open, safe space. Um, And then, yeah, I think that he isn't going to realize that he's been in survival mode until he's an adult. And, and he, if if he feels, you know, like he's a little bit behind in other ways, Mm -hmm. I think he's not really going to recognize that until he's older, because I don't think, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe he is gay. Maybe in the, in the next season. It doesn't seem relevant at all. 
Yeah, I yeah, I just don't. It's fine, sure, whatever. I don't give a shit. Right. It kind of. I honestly think for Stranger Things that if they went that direction, it would kind of be a little bit performative as far as like inclusion. It would be beyond performative. Yeah, like I would be f- okay with it, but I think that it's it the doesn't. Long take for the character, but that's that's an aside. Well, yeah, I don't. I just I don't think that that is not is where. Um, Stranger Things necessarily needs to go with that character. I'm not saying that they can't have any gay characters. I just think if they made him gay, it would be a little performative. Yeah. So I can jump in here with that. Uh, Okay. On that thought. So there's a John Carpenter film and... uh, There is? (laughs) Shocking that Topher's going to bring up John Carpenter again. I've already done it twice this episode. Um, In the Mouth of Madness. And then there's a movie that keeps trying to Gabriel Del Toro keeps trying to make that is based on Lovecraft called Mountains of Madness, right? Or in the Mountains of Madness or something like that. Um, the idea is drive being driven mad by the knowledge of the infinite that is unknowable, right? Knowing that the infinite exists and that it's unknowable is this something that would drive someone insane? Def. So going back to Stranger Things, the rest of the kids have are like, oh, it's awesome, we defeated monsters. They see it as D&D. Will lived there for months. Yeah. Will And who knows how time passes there? Who knows how reality passes there? Who knows how vision works in there? Like, we've seen them go into the upside down, but Will wasn't physically there necessarily. R.I.P. Barb. R.I.P. Barb. But, like, we don't know what was going on with him while he was in there. We don't know what that world looks like. Yeah. And so, like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that madness... Is what's the, the like calling it developmentally stunted? Sure, the dude's insane. Yeah, he has to be because you cannot stay sane in that instance. It would be insane to stay sane, sort of thing. You know, that sounds very like the guy who sells you pot when you're in high school, sort of thing to say. Right, and I don't think they're ever going to show that he's insane because I don't think it would be. It wouldn't come across the right way. I don't think they trust themselves as writers to do that. I, I, I don't, I don't think, trust them as writers. I don't do think that. it'd be a good move. Nobody wants to see like a kid in, I don't know, after like no one, people are interested in seeing like the monsters and everything, but I don't think people are inter- interested in seeing the aftermath because it's going to be uglier than the monsters. Yes. But so. that's, that's what I'm getting at is that that's the cool part. That's the interesting part. And that's what Lovecraft was pointing out. That's what a lot of these other cosmic horror authors and writers and uh, creators have pointed out is that what is act- and that's I think that's why people focus on the monsters because trying to focus on what lies beneath is too even horrifying. scarier yeah yeah it's staring at the abyss and the abyss stares back and that's exactly what I think that's that's you just you just said cosmic horrors tagline thank you Friedrich Nietzsche yeah yeah I study philosophy guys I know. I don't know anything about philosophy, so sorry. Um, It's okay. It's hot. It's hot to not know things. You know, I'm just, there's nothing. I'm a neurotic wreck because I know things. And I'm just hot because I know nothing. Exactly. That's why I'm not allowed on the internet. Clear head, big tits, (laughs) can't lose. Right. Just, you know, the bimbo era is back. Thank God. Well, I guess maybe it's a, have we had a bimbo era? Yes. When? 50s. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess. Lucy. Lucille Ball, bimbo. Would you consider Marilyn Monroe a bimbo, too? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of playing it up in yeah, that way. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Not saying these women are actually dumb. 
No, 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 no. Bimbo is very much a, uh, uh, well, we're having it's a reclamation an empowered, era. It's a, yeah, it's an empowered state now. Anyhow. Yeah, anyhow. Uh, we <laughs> Going from Nietzsche to bimbos. <laughs> in two seconds, who can do that? Us. Us. Yo. Bitch. Fuck yeah. It's a good high five. That was a good high five. Thank God. All right, sign us out of here, babe. All right. This wheelchair is uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, let's get you out of there and onto those crutches that are even more uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> five of one. Yeah. Wait, no. Six of one half time the other. <laughs> oh, Lord. On that note, you guys know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. We have a little website, horrorbabespod.com. And until next time, bye, bye babes. Yeah, babe. Yeah. <laughs>